1: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
2: For me, breath is dialogue. Like, are they sighing? Or are they, like, really anxious and, like, breathing hard? Are they, like, you know, uh, really upset and, like, on the verge of tears, on the verge of crying? Like... All of that sounds differently in your breath. None of that might be scripted as dialogue. We would still wire them. This
0: is BIPOC Credits, a podcast highlighting BIPOC crew members working in the BC film industry. Listen in to stories from behind the scenes of your favorite films and TV shows. Together, let's celebrate the progress we've seen so far in becoming a more diverse film industry. Plus, learn how you can be a part of the BC film industry. Here's your host, Andy Wong. Hello, welcome to another
3: episode of BIPOC Credits. For those who have been involved in the BC indie film scene, you probably know today's guest. He is a local legend that works as a one-man sound team, but is slowly growing his team through mentorship. Alex Shemku has been working in the industry for a decade. Instead of finding work in the union world though, Alex has dedicated his career to working with independent filmmakers and the local community. His philosophy directing his passion is incredibly inspiring. In this episode, he talks in detail about his role as a sound mixer in independent filmmaking. He gets really technical as well and if you're an independent filmmaker wanting to learn more about how to get good sound in your films, this is the episode for you. Finally, he talks about why he is on this new journey of mentorship and why it's important to him to boost up the BIPOC community in indie film sound. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Alex Shamku. You are a very high-demanded episode. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Andy. Yeah, as a as a indie local legend uh, in the industry, uh, there were a lot of votes to have you. <laughs> speak on this show, so I'm stoked. Thank you for coming. Me too, me. man. Of course. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> uh, what are some of your favorite projects that you've worked on
2: as a sound mixer? I, I've worked on so many projects. There, I have a lot of favorites. Um, I obviously like want to shout out all of them, but it's impossible, obviously. But um, I have to shout out the first film I ever worked on. It was a short film made for Bloodshots, A Tale of Two Kitties by Rick Lee. Um. And that was like a one-day shoot for a forty-eight-hour filmmaking mm-hmm. competition, and that's that's what got me into film. So I have to shout that out as. And it was like a, it was a good film. It was a good little film. Yeah, um, I'd probably yeah. look back at it and cringe at the sound now because I, you know, I was plugging a mic straight into camera. I had no headphones. I had no idea what I was doing. It was my first day on set ever. But right. It still holds a place in my heart, you know.
3: Because you were originally
2: hired as a PA on that, right? I was hired as a PA. Yeah. <laughs> on that one yeah but shout outs to rickley wherever you are yeah heel kick uh it was like a wrestling mockumentary that i did in 2014 um they (laughs) i showed up to do sound on that and they're like we're also going to put you in the film we have a second camera that's going to pull back and show the film crew that's going to be in the film as the fake film crew so right i'm I'm in that movie as like an actor playing a sound person Who's also doing sound. So that was that was a weird,
3: trippy experience. Yeah, super meta. Yeah. Um, I mean yeah. it's not your only experience because I, I did see you at Run and Gun in that um in that oh, in the intro video. Yeah. In the intro video. That was legendary. Andy, I've been typecast as a sound
2: guy. As a films. sound guy? Yeah. It's the only role I get.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> typecast is myself. Um <laughs> yeah, exactly. Con, con- uh, Goes with My T Roll. That's a, a web series that's been going oh, for years yeah. and years and years. But I've been I've been with them since 2014. And it's right. honestly like it's it's good stuff. It's so funny. Yeah. Improv comedy.
3: Um the first few oh, seasons of that was excellent. I went to um acting school with David Millshardt. So. Oh, you did? Amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's a uh, he was <laughs> one of your teachers. He was one of my teachers, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I was a huge fan of that show. Yeah, and I yeah, didn't yeah, know Milky's you worked great. on that. Yeah, I've been working on it since I think season four, I think. So what's the what's the first thing that you kind of think of when you walk on a new film set? On a new film set. So it's like day one, day one of production. Day one of pre production when you're like walking into the set and you're looking around, like what what, um what's your what's the first few things on your mind? Well,
2: because I work uh, primarily on location and not really in studio. Um, right. The first thing that I that I pay attention to are like the acoustics of the space. So I'd walk into the space, like find out where we're shooting. I'd walk around. Uh, if I haven't been on a tech scout and haven't had a chance to do this, because sometimes I'm like busy shooting, so I'm not able to make the tech scout or location scout. Sometimes right. I am, which is helpful. Yeah. But let's say it's my first time in a space. I would listen to the acoustics, clap my hands, see see where the reverberations are if it's like an echoey space if there's lots of like hard surfaces that we might need to treat i'll try and identify the any noisy elements so maybe there's a fridge uh-huh.
3: that needs to be turned right. off maybe there's hvac we need to find the like um, the controls to what else do you do as a sound mixer on a tech survey because i've been on a lot of tech surveys mm-hmm. and only once have i ever <laughs> had a, a sound mixer like on the survey with me um, on like one of the bigger shows mm-hmm. And so I'd love to like hear more about that side of things. Yeah, it's mainly that looking out for things that might
2: uh, present issues to us, like capturing the best sound that we can. So any noise issues, not just like in the room itself, but also like is the location next to a construction site? Is it next to a busy road? You know, is it in a flight path, right? Um, Are there other things that are going to affect the sound here? Like is it next to a school? Is, is it in a building that's sharing a space with, you know, there's going to be busy, um, like a busy office next door or people coming in, in and out. I shot in a school once that had um, a church service come in on one of the days. <laughs> um, and then the other day was a robotics club. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so it, these, these there are all sorts of things that will pop up that will affect your sound on location. That you might have to like inquire about. And that's all important. So when you're on a tech survey, it's like, we're in a school, we're in a church, we're in some other place that we don't have full control over. And we're just renting it for this portion, like this section for this portion of time. There might be other groups or other people renting out other portions of the space that we have to share with them. Um, And also like, uh, I would bring a uh, spectrum analyzer so I can like, Look at if there's gonna be any wireless interference. It's just a little device that kind of looks like a, you know, like a sci-fi. Like <laughs> it's just a gray metal box with an antenna. Essentially, it's it's looking for radio frequency signals, right, along oh. a certain so so that you know, is there yeah, is there gonna be any interference with our labs? Um, yeah, just like existing in this space. Right. Maybe there's maybe there's like a some broadcast radio broadcast tower down the street or something like that, like throwing interference or right. maybe there's something else in in the area that's throwing interference. So that's that's useful to have on a tech scout just to see maybe
3: if there's going to be problems yeah, with our wireless. How do you know, you know, what microphones to use? Because obviously there's like, you know, all kinds of different microphones. I more or less operate by a pretty strict rule
2: which is you use shotguns outside not inside and mm. you use an indoor mic um for indoors like a hy- hypercardioid or a supercardioid but like a non-interference tube non-shotgun microphone inside mm. um so that's that's just the rule of thumb I go by and right. you know I have my microphones for each right so I have my um Sennheiser 8060 or a Sanken C S3E those are my shotguns for exteriors and they live right. permanently in blimps with dead cats or the the wind wind muffs on there. Um, and for indoors, I just use an MKH fifty. I don't use any other mic indoors. Just an MKH. Just the MKH fifty. Yeah, yeah. That's a Sennheiser, right? Sennheiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are other brands, obviously. So so Sheps makes a six forty one. Um, it's a it's a modular microphone, but that's that's between the Sennheiser MKH fifty and the Sheps six forty one. Those are the two mics that are overwhelmingly used in film and television production mm, in okay. interiors. Yeah. So there is a difference between the build of them and how the, the quality of how they sound, right? There is. Yeah, they're engineered differently, um, and Sennheiser microphones are more resistant to moisture and uh, and wireless interference. So that's why I picked that because here in Vancouver it rains a lot, as you know, um, <laughs> and and just you know humidity and everything it's more it's more resistant to that and so i just didn't want to roll the dice i was on a film shoot once and a mixer had a chef's mic and it it was too humid and the microphone died and i didn't want to have that
3: uh happen to me so i decided to go with sennheiser for all my mics right right yeah it's uh it's funny because in school when i was in school um we learned about all the different types of microphones um like you know uh, hyper hyper recording dynamic, you know, all that. Um, but we only ever were able to use, like, a 416 Sennheiser mm, shotgun. Yeah. That was the only thing in our kit. Really? <laughs> so, which which Yeah, school? that was cool. Um, I went to SFU. Okay. Uh, and, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where, like, you know, people say sound super important and people treat sound as super important. Um, but then when it actually comes to practicality, they don't spend the money from it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the 416 <laughs> has this
2: interesting, um, I guess, uh, it's, it's a legendary microphone because mm-hmm. it's a microphone that was used in film and television for decades, right? Like since the 80s, right. maybe even longer. Um, wow. People still use yeah. it. People still recommend it because the durability of that microphone is really, really high and it'll work in, you know, people have put it through, put it through hell and it still works. So that's why that's why you still see people recommending that microphone, even though in my mind there are better microphones like Mm. microphone technology has progressed a little bit. Um, Yeah, like the the 8060 would be like the third, I guess, generation of shotgun microphones that or sorry, I'm getting that wrong. But it's it's like three, three um, generations above a 416 essentially. Uh, Yeah. Cause he had the four sixteen, they had the the four fifteen before that, and probably some other microphones too. But um, then they went to the Sennheiser MK sixty, and then they went to the the, the modular eighty eight thousand series. So the eighty sixty is the shotgun version of of um, of those right. microphones. They also have the eighty fifty, the eighty forty, the eighty thirty. So they're all modular capsules that you could screw on to a um, uh, an eighty eight thousand series preamp module. Um, right. But anyway, it's getting getting too far into the weeds here. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> super technical, yeah. but but the four sixteen, um, people will still recommend it because like as a first microphone, if you're like starting out as a mixer, it's like okay that that microphone is super durable. Um, it'll give you the like Sennheiser sound that's been used in like film and television for years and years and years, and it's you know affordable relatively. It's like a thousand bucks. Um, but the eighty sixty is like maybe 1400 Like it's not that much more expensive compared to the 416. And right. it's like two thirds the size, has oh. a similar sound, but is more transparent on the edges. Whereas the 416 can be kind of harsh if you're not directly on axis, which can be good or bad, right? if If, if the frequency changes too much when you're off axis, then you know that you're not in the right spot. But also it
3: makes people's voices sound a bit weird if you're not, like, right on axis, right? And you're, and you're talking about specifically when you're booming yes. um, certain characters who are talking, there's a specific axis that you have to, like... Yeah, in the sweet spot. At. Exactly. Yeah, sweet spot. Exactly.
2: Sweet yeah. spot in the microphone, yeah. And that, that's when you're getting into polar patterns, and like how wide or narrow the polar pattern is. Shotgun microphones right. have a more... Di- that's why they call it directional, right? It's got a more right. focused polar pattern, so you need to, like, be pretty accurate where you're pointing that microphone. Yeah. Whereas like a hypercardiote or supercardiote indoor microphones um, have wider pickup patterns, wider polar pattern. Right. So even if you're not directly where you need to be, yeah, it might still sound good, but just a little like, you know, not as good as it could be if you're in the sweet spot. Um, but it's a bit more forgiving that way. That's why you use these smaller microphones with wider pickup patterns inside, because if you're like, you know, swinging your boom around yeah people are moving around a lot you're swinging your boom around you might be able to like park it in between two people talking and still be able to get them both like if
3: you don't if you're not fast enough to cue to the other person right like in like a fast talking dialogue scene kind of thing exactly you'll you'll have to like you keep moving your arm (laughs)
2: exactly if there's a lot if it's documentary unscripted yeah, yeah there's a lot of situations where you might have to you might not be able to get over it in time um, if it's if they're doing
3: improv comedy or something like that. You know, right? Right. You you won't know. So here's a question that's kind of related to that. Like if if people if actors are wired like if they're laughed up already, why do you still also have to boom them? Um, because the boom sounds better than a laugh. That's just that's just like a blanket statement.
2: Um, the diaphragm is larger, um, but also a boom microphone gives a sense of presence, like to the room, um, because you're picking up the sound that's also reverberating in the space, right? And when you're booming, uh, when I'm booming, for example, I try to match the perspective of the camera. So if the camera is on, you know, if it's a wide shot with like lots of headroom and stuff, you know, you might not be able to get your boom in. So you like throw it in the air just for presence, and then you might play the labs. But if you're going in for a medium and you can boom people properly, then it'll sound, you can get your, your boom in there, but it might still be like two feet away, right? So you'll pick up their voice, but it'll, it won't be as rich and intimate as if it's like on a close-up. If the camera goes in for a close-up, you know, all you're seeing is their head or an ECU or something mm. like that. You right. can get the boom right in there and then it sounds really intimate. It sounds really rich, right? It's matching the perspective of camera so that when they do cut to these frames,
3: it'll, it'll, it'll have the sound that should go with the frame. Right, right. That's actually really interesting. What you said about um the the boom microphone kind of capturing presence on the wide, yeah, yeah, um while also using the lav sounds to capture exactly what their audio is. The the lav
2: will always sound the same, whether you're on a wide mm. or a tight. You know, it it has this sort of like sound that's going to be on your body. It doesn't change ever. So that's why people people are used to hearing labs say like on news or on reality TV. And that's the like the ever-present sound of of it just being on somebody's body. Um they might also be really rustly depending on what their wardrobe is cuz like a lav is only going to sound as good as you know how it's wired. So if if the wardrobe is difficult, if there's a lot of synthetics, if if they're wearing um a big like, you know, puffy jacket that's like a down jacket or something that has nylon or or, or synthetic yeah. that, or a rain jacket even that has a lot of like swish to it. That's all you're going to yeah. hear on the lab, right? right. And so they'll have to clean it up a lot, and you might lose some frequency in the voice as they're cleaning it up. Um, right. But with a the boom, there's there's a lot of richness that is captured, and a lot of like natural movement of the body of the clothing that is just um, either overemphasized or that is lost when you have a
3: lav. Wiring is definitely like a, a skill that I it it's such an important skill that yes yeah people don't uh, realize it's
2: tricky even even with like you know ten years of experience like I still have wiring challenges right there's mm-hmm. it's 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 um a constant learning process and there are new like accessories and mounting options and straps and all sorts of things that are coming out all the time to try mm-hmm. and improve um how to mount wires better how to reduce uh clothing noise better um all sorts of tricks like i have a a fishing tackle box full of like wiring accessories it's just like okay maybe this didn't work let's try this right let's try let's try a foamy instead of like a rubber mount you know let's try something that's plastic or let's something try something that's a little bit low profile or maybe all of that is too much and let's just tape the microphone to the body you know? Like sometimes the simplest solution is the best solution, right? And you
3: like forego all these other things. Do you find it definitely like helpful when you have um, multiple people kind of helping you out with different processes? So like, you know, having a boom mob and then a sound assistant to do, you know, wires? Absolutely. And having a
2: team is always helpful, especially as the scope of the project scales up. That's one of the reasons why I don't do bigger scale projects because like i primarily work by myself mm. as something scales up uh the amount of work scales up right so right. each character you add to a script needs to be wired everyone in the scene needs to be wired so like as you go past four five six seven you're gonna have to wire all those characters in a scene and that takes time
3: do you kind of like listen like do checks and then like listen to it while you're like and mix it while you're kind of I'm testing the uh, wires out. As they are getting wired, you're
2: also running a mic check on them. Because people also have different volumes of voices, right? So somebody might have a booming voice that's like, just because they are like a hulking person, (laughs) hulking beast of a human. (laughs) Or someone might have a very like small, timid voice because they're just, you know, a small human. Or vice versa. Maybe they have a really good projecting voice. They've been theater trained like lots of actors right. they come in all shapes sizes flavors loudnesses so sometimes right. you might have to like really crank the gain on someone who is has a very soft voice and maybe they when they act or you know in this particular scene they're like very soft spoken or whatever maybe they're whispering or something like that but an actor that's in a scene with them just has a naturally booming projecting voice and you got to turn, turn turn that the volume down. down so those are things that you don't want to figure out while you're rolling you want to be able to adjust that right after you wire you'd run a a little mic check get them to say some of their lines or just ask them a question like what have you what have you had for breakfast today that's actually a bad question to ask actors because they'll never tell you the truth (laughs) they they don't want to tell you what they're eating so my go-to is like what was the last movie you saw or like what are you watching on tv on netflix you know and people are people are happy to talk about what they're watching right now. And they're like, "Oh, I just watched yeah. the show," and then you get a sense of how loud they are, and then you can turn them down appropriately or turn them up appropriately.
3: So now you're getting into mentoring and trying mm. to build, bring people up into you know the in the industry. What what kind of lessons is in the curriculum of Alex Shemkoo course? <laughs> um, oh man,
2: I don't I don't know that I have a curriculum per se (laughs) um but i do have an idea of what what i want to teach people when i'm mentoring people i yeah (laughs) i don't teach them asmr that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) um usually the first day i would just have them sit back and just observe Mm. um i would have them take notes ask questions And just I would guide them through the process of like how I set up when I first come on set, Um, the things that I do to prepare for a scene or things they should listen for, um, who to listen for, um, depending on how much set experience they have, right? Is it a sound person that is fresh out of film school? Is it somebody that has a lot of film experience in other departments? Right? So there might be various things to teach. Are they somebody with no film experience? at all right like there might be different things to to teach them but generally i'd be like okay sit back observe watch what i do here's my kit i'll be like okay setting up the mixer this is what i'll do to you know turn the power on and then if we need to scan this is how we scan and like you know we just want to make sure your mixer is set up for the first scene of the day and then we go through the call sheet and be like all right Let's go through the call sheet. This is something that I would normally do in prep the night before. Uh-huh. But I will show um, people I'm mentoring like, the process of doing this like, yeah. on the first How day. How to break right? down. How to break down the call sheet to like, have all the information of what you need. So I'd look at each scene, see who's, who has dialogue. Like, I'd go through the, the sides or the script with them. Be like, all right, who has dialogue? We're circling them as cast members on right. the right-hand side of the call sheet. right? right. If they don't right. have dialogue but they're still in the scene, I would underline them. Just to mm. just to show them that like okay. this person doesn't have lines, but it still might be might have important sound elements for them to catch.
3: Right. Like for if they know. ever improv anything or like a like a breathe oh, or like no, yeah.
1: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at
0: UH1.com.
1: If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Uh, exactly. So for me, yeah. breath is dialogue, right? Mm. So even though someone might not have lines, scripted lines in a scene, there might be elements for, to catch with them. Maybe they're picking up an object. Right. Maybe they're handling something or manipulating something. Um, Maybe they're just, you know, saying something about their character through their breath work. Like, are they sighing or are they like really anxious and like breathing hard? Are they like, you know, uh, really upset and like on the verge of tears, on the verge of crying? Like Mm. all of that sounds differently in your breath. And so that none of that might be scripted as dialogue. We would still wire them just to try and mm-hmm. capture some of those more uh, intimate moments with them, because a lot of is told through a story without actually having any scripted dialogue, right? For your sure. movement, your breath, yeah. your expressions, your lack of breathing, now, all those things might tell, tell something in the story. Going back to mentoring, sorry. Sort of got off track. Um, <laughs> those, those are things I would, I would, I would tell them. I'd also be like, you know, listen, like when you're going to blocking, um, watch the blocking, watch, you know, where the actors might be moving in a space and then watch the DP and the director because they'll be talking about the shot after the blocking is over because, like, the director and the DP might be talking about, okay, we want to play a wide here and then turn around and do coverage on this character, like a medium here and then go in for close. So that all of that is information that will help you determine, like, you know, how how the rest of this scene is going to be shot, Right. And then that's information that you have, knowing that okay, they're going to be a wide. There's going to be a wide, but they're also going in for close-ups. So if you can't get a boom in on the wide, that's okay
3: because you're still going to get coverage on the boom. So why did you decide to go on this journey of mentorship?
2: I wanted to see more uh, uh, equality and representation in sound. Um, there's not enough women. There's not enough you know people of color, um, BIPOC. Not enough, (laughs) not not enough, bipoc people uh, in the sound department. But also, like you know, sometimes people will shoot me an email, being like, "Hey, I'm doing this project, but I'm looking for someone who's like LGBTQ. I'm looking for a woman or something, because it might be a really sensitive documentary. They're going into like women's prisons, or they might be going into uh, a space full of like you know, interviewing subjects that have experienced like." Abuse or trauma or something like that and and they're looking for someone who's really sensitive and could understand these issues so i've I've gotten those requests where they would prefer you know having a sound person there, and like I would have nobody to recommend them, right, mm. or maybe like one or two names. There needs to be more sound people that have those lived experiences, just just increase the diversity in the sound
3: department mm-hmm. period, right and at the end of the day there's only one Alex so <laughs> <laughs> but but it's not it's not about
2: having about me doing these jobs as it is just yeah. like increasing the diversity and representation of the crew on set right because i think that's always helpful right because then you could check each other's uh you know privilege and bigotry and stuff like that you know yeah. if if everyone is just homogenous like, there's no difference of opinion. There's no difference in life values or whatever. Like, I think it it brings more to a set when you have diversity of, like, life, of lived experience, of background, culturally, everything, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And, and, and people need to see that, you know, if somebody is growing up that's a minority and they don't see themselves, whether... In front
3: of or behind the camera, they don't consider that that's a viable career path. I guess this is why you prefer indie projects and short films over, like, you know, feature films and yeah, because yeah, you get to work on so many different diverse, um, diverse projects in in a single year. It's true. It's true. Um, and the create they're more
2: creative. Indie projects are more creative than um, you know, bigger budget. somebody's gonna (laughs) needle me for that but it's in the sense that you know if if you can if you if you want to um write and create a project based on your own lived experience you can just do it you know as an indie filmmaker I'm only now starting to see like big stories come out that are diverse and representative Right. Like only in the last few years have we seen like yeah. the crazy rich Asians, the the farewell, like stories being told on screen about Asians, Asian-Americans that, you know, that are representative of people that
3: live in North America. Right. Not just about yeah. white Americans. I think because of your dedication to indie and and your philosophy on it, that's why everyone is like loves you so much. <laughs> Do you do you ever do you ever get stressed out about where your next paycheck might come from, or like being someone that only works in indie? Though, um, like, is there enough indie and non union projects to to support um, freelancing that way to make a living? Yes, yes, yeah. Um,
2: because um, it's not just when we talk about film, working in film, we kind of think of oh, like TV's and movies, short films, feature films. Mm-hmm television, but there's so much more, uh, visual medium that needs sound and recorded sound than just like those things. There's a lot of like nonfiction, um, work, like a lot of documentary work, reality TV work, love it or hate it. Um, there's lifestyle shoots. There's like, you know, home renovation shows. There's a lot of like corporate video commercial. Right. There's a lot of stuff that that exists outside of union uh, narrative work that you can take on as a sound mixer or a sound recordist, um, and actually documentary work is is if I only did documentary work, I would be happy because wow. if you're yeah. doing a documentary about something, it's already interesting, right? Like why would you yeah spend the time and money new, right? exactly? You're learning. It's like it's like getting a free education, being paid <laughs> to be. Educated, you know, it's yeah. so cool, and you're yeah. interviewing people that are super interesting. Yeah, if I could just work in documentary for the rest of my life, I'd be happy. um But there, you know, I do a lot of corporate video. I do a lot of like very small crew commercial. I might mm-hmm. be doing a job where there's literally three people on set: myself, mm-hmm. the DP, camop slash gaffer, and a director producer, right? yeah um, so
3: there's a lot of small crew stuff that I also work on as well. I guess that's this really special thing about being in sound is like other than you know being on camera or in, in like being in the camera department, you're also one of the really necessary people in exactly your video right? exactly, exactly. and so um, it's a good place to be,
2: right? because you're never wanting for work. It's just a matter of like what your connections are, what your network is. do people know who you are, right? At this point in my career, you know, I'm I'm ten years out of film school. I've built my network enough that I don't need to have a second job. Mm. But for the first seven years out of film school, I had a second job that I used to like, like part time, go in and supplement uh, my income doing doing sound because like I really wasn't making a living. You know, I'm a little privileged that you know I was able to make it all work and keep working on indies. But that's why a lot of people don't necessarily work on indies, right? Because they know it's not a stable income for them necessarily. Um, The budgets for sound department might vary wildly. There really isn't a set rate. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there is, you know, people have to live, right? They got to put food on the table. They got to pay their rent. They got to pay their bills. Yeah. And so that's why they opt to go the union route because they know, right, okay, get into the union. It's like a set, Set pay per hour, and I know you know if I get in with the crew, I could be on a show call and work, you know, for seven months of the year and just have a steady paycheck.
3: That's important. Yeah, right. People have to. Live. And the money becomes pretty <laughs> consistent afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Pretty
2: consistent. So you know it. You know, I'm kind of lucky in that I was yeah. able to yeah. like, um, what's the term? make a career? Doing... I was able to cut my teeth uh doing a lot yeah, of student yeah. films, a lot of short films. And slowly, yeah. like build up my network of um, mm. people in the indie scene. Also, do a lot of corporate and commercial work on the side, like small crew stuff, and sort of like make myself known to different producers and different,
3: different directors. Yeah. That would well, bring this is really me on. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, sound is one of the, the the only departments where you can rarely get um, crew to work for free, uh, and uh, you you mentioned that because of. You know, kit rentals, but that's also yeah. because of like you're needed. Like supply and demand, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And
3: and you know, we're also I would say
2: like along with makeup, uh, we're one of the only mm-hmm. the only um crew members that's expected to like own and bring all their own gear. Right? Right. Like you can go to the camera rental shop and rent you know, rent and aria alexa that would have cost somebody like 50 grand right you know fully kitted out maybe close to 100 grand but like you could rent all those pieces yeah um you could do that with sound but it would cost you so much there's only one rental house really that's doing uh, you know that has everything that you need and that's true audio right right um and they don't have nearly enough (laughs) kit to like rent out to like Dozens of productions at the same time, right? So there's a lot of camera rental houses out there that can like cook you up with what you need. A lot of grip gear that's all rented. Well, there's certainly a lot of like owner operators in town that like own their own cameras or own their own grip kits and stuff like that. Um, But I would say the gross majority of sound people working as professionals in town own their own kits, right? And they might have invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into those kits, yeah, And so when you, when you come on uh, to work on like indie projects, you, you need to recoup that investment, right? It's an, it's an investment in yourself, in your career, in your business. You are a sole proprietor here, right? And maybe at a higher mm-hmm. level you might incorporate, um, but it's like, you need to, you need to recoup that investment somehow. And if if production is paying to rent camera and paying to rent grip gear and location gear and stuff like that, right. It, it makes sense that they would also allocate some of that budget to renting sound
3: gear. So what would you say to those people who are interested in getting into doing more of the indie, indie path of sound mixing and uh, location sound?
2: I would say um, if you are just starting out, find your way on a film set, either as a PA or as any other, any position, um, message some sound people say that you're interested in coming on set maybe you can like shadow somebody for a day shadow a mixer shadow uh, a recordist uh, just get on set I would say just get on set and and observe observe what the sound mixes are doing if you already have gone to film school and you like have an idea you've played with some sound gear do student films right do contest films. Um, mm-hmm. Find your way onto these projects where the stakes are low, right? I, I would mm-hmm. say don't, if you don't have any set experience, don't volunteer to do sound on a feature film. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like don't jump into the deep end. Jump, Go yeah. into the shallow end. Ease in, yeah. right? See, read a lot. Um, I, I did an incredible amount of research and reading and everything like that. Like read, mm. read manuals for, for the equipment. Go on forums yeah. like JW Sound Group. Go on Facebook, Freelance Mixers Group. There's a lot of places that you can go to um, to get information huh. and ask specific questions. If they're like, you know, there's, there's a lot of articles about technique. There's, there's books out there. There's one book that I recommend everybody read, whether you're a sound person or not. just came out. It's called Behind the Sound Card. It came out last year, I think. Behind the sound cart. Behind the sound card, yeah. So it's written by uh I apologize, they'll never probably hear this, but uh Petrushka Mirzwa, I think is, is her name. Um so she is a um a sound person that spent a lot of time in Hollywood uh since the eighties as a boom operator on like Tarantino films. And like that's huh. essentially a, a book that she wrote about basically the entire process of, um, production sound, like from being a sound assistant through a boom operator, through a mixer. And that is one of the most like, um, concise up-to-date books about film sound that I think you can, you can have, you can read. Yeah. That, that is, that is the current Bible of production film sound. That's cool. I would say. And there's other, there's other books out there, the Location Sound Bible, uh, sound man, which I think was written by a local sound person
3: here. Before we wrap it up, uh, I'd like to ask you some rapid fire questions. I ask yeah, everyone um, on sure. the show. Uh, what's the worst advice you were ever given? Oh, man. Um,
2: you know, I don't think I've ever really been given bad advice as far as like sound and career and stuff. Um, it's all been pretty good advice, but um, I think this isn't really advice, but I once worked under a mixer who uh seemed to like his his philosophy on set was like we're the most important department and he was sort of going to war with the other departments or like turning it into an us versus them kind of thing oh no yeah. and that's 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 never a good idea like like to me that just creates conflict on set so it wasn't really advice as it was behavior and i knew what not to do right because when you're on set it's a team sport We're all like trying to achieve the same thing here. We're all like collectively birthing this like creative baby, right? Yeah. And we're like getting it to the finish line. So make friends, make friends with the departments, right? You need to liaise with everybody. You need to liaise with the camera department. You need to liaise with wardrobe. You need to liaise with, you know, the ADs, the grips, you know, lighting, everybody. You need to be friends with them because they're going to help you out. What's the best advice you were ever given? The Best advice I was ever given. Oh, man. Um, it's not specific to sound. Yeah. And it's not really advice that I was given, but there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? Like, I'm not talking about dead cats here, but in the <laughs> sense that, like, whatever gets you to the end goal of, of yeah. capturing good sound, there are rules and principles that we live by, right? Use a shotgun outside use, you know, a non-shotgun inside. But sometimes a shotgun might be what you reach for on the inside, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you're shooting right. with multiple cameras, three cameras on a soundstage that's treated. You might use a shotgun inside. There are not hard and fast rules. There are principles that you take into account, but then you also decide what is,
3: what is going to give me the best sound in this situation, right? What would you tell your younger self before starting in this industry? buy once cry once <laughs> buy once
2: cry once yeah so in the sense that um when it comes to gear purchases yeah they might be looking at something and being like well i i don't want to spend that much money on this i'm going to go for something cheaper maybe we'll get this wireless wireless uh package off of amazon or maybe you yeah. know there's there's something cheaper that i'd get instead and then they find out oh it's not good and i have to yeah. like buy something more expensive that that is good. You see that happen a lot with people that are just yeah. starting out and for myself as well like I started out with something cheap and then I had to like pay more money to upgrade and then upgrade that and upgrade and upgrade so I would say like understand the professional tools and buy the professional tools. In your opinion what does a more diverse film industry look like? I mean more diverse, more diverse stories, more diverse crew, people of all backgrounds, cultures, orientations genders like you don't want a homogenous set you don't want a homogenous story right just yeah that's that's what diversity looks
3: like and we're getting there we're getting there right well where can people find you uh if they actually did want to get into um, did want to hear more or like um get into sound or anything like that yeah i'm 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 on social media i'm
2: on facebook uh instagram can find me on set. I'm working all the time. Too much. There you go. <laughs> um, and just, yeah, just let me know that, you know, you're interested in, in doing sound. And I'll be like, okay, I'll add you on the list. Um, if if you, you know, if you have a kid or if you want to do more of a specific type of job or maybe you just want to come be mentored for a bit or see how I do things, I'll bring you on set. Thanks so much, Alex.
3: That uh, This has been fantastic. And I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me on, Andy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope you found my conversation with Alex as informative and inspiring as I did. Check out my episode earlier this season with Mick Narciso if you want to hear more conversations about the indie Vancouver film community and what is needed to become a more united industry. As always, please go follow us on Instagram. Our producer Nightingale consistently promotes upcoming events and opportunities for BIPOC crew members in the BC film industry. So check that out. If you miss anything on Instagram, we have an episodic newsletter where you can find all that information as well as additional information on our guests. Alex sent us a ton of great resources to share with you all to learn about getting good sound on our newsletter as well. If you want to support our podcast, go leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us. But most importantly, share this with your friends who you think could really benefit from this episode and help them find a career in sound or at the very least be equipped with getting good sound for their next film. Hope you guys have a fantastic week, and I'll see you on set. Thanks for listening to BIPOC
0: Credits by Andy Wong. This episode was produced by Nightingale. Our editor is Rihanna Toy. Graphics by Joshua Lamb. Theme music by Peter Robinson and Patrick Fiore. Intro and outro voiceover by Mike Lee. Thank you to our community partner, culturebrew.art, for supporting us. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at BIPOC Credits. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, subscribe to our newsletter to get all the juicy information we didn't quite get to in this podcast. Thank you once again for listening to BIPOC Credits.